0: Happy Resurrection Sunday. How's everyone doing this morning? It's afternoon. I'm losing the sense of time. Before we dive into the text this morning, I just want to extend uh, just my sincerest gratitude to everyone who put so much blood, sweat, and tears into beautifying this space for us this morning. Could we give them a hand? This incredible labor of love, um, absolutely beautiful. And so, uh, just so appreciative, uh, not just for this morning, but if you were here Good Friday, and you saw all the intentionality, the hard work in creating spaces for us to deeply encounter Jesus, just so grateful for people that uh, give up of their of their life, their energy, just to create places for us to encounter the living God. And so, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we're going to be reading from a really powerful text in the New Testament. The text is found in Revelation 21, verse 1 to 5. This is the Apostle John writing, a man who walked with Jesus. And he, had, he was one of the 12 apostles, and he had this incredible revelation, visions that he wrote down in the book of Revelation that gave guidance to the church at that time and continues to anchor us to today. This is what he says. Then I saw a new heaven... They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for this incredible morning that we get to celebrate the moment in time that changed history and creation forever. Lord, we're in this room because of the empty tomb and the power and life that emanated from that redemptive, restorative act that's changed us and changed untold millions upon millions of lives over the course of history and continues To this day, to give hope and transform people like nothing else in this world. We celebrate that today. And we come with expectation. We pray you'd speak to us, meet us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Recently, I was meeting up with a friend who uh, really has an incredible life story. He's a Korean American and He didn't grow up in the areas of New York City that you as a Korean American would tend to expect you would grow up. Um, He didn't grow up in Flushing. He didn't grow up in Bayside because his mom had this vision for his life and for his siblings' life. And so she moved them to a location in the city that was not likely, actually is still not that welcoming to people of color, if we're being fully honest. Uh, The place is called Huntington, New York. It's an area in Long Island. He was growing up as the odd man out. He said he was probably the only Asian American, doesn't remember people of color in his school. Um, He said it was an odd experience. He found himself learning ballroom dancing and things that he never thought he'd be learning but he said it was a very, in his words, waspy school. What he meant was it was filled with white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, and he was the odd man out. Yet, because of him living there, he ended up going to some of the best schools in the area, and that marked his trajectory. He ended up going to Harvard, MIT. And at the moment that we were meeting, we were meeting at a location that uh, a, a retreat home that him and his family purchased uh, in, in Long Island with the purpose of sharing this home with kids from the inner city, wants to bring kids to a location that's absolutely breathtaking, and share some of his resources, his wealth of knowledge. He recognizes, in his own words, that he succeeded in the script that was given to him, a script that many people in this country follow, but he recognizes. Not everyone has access to that script, and he feels it's his privilege and his responsibility to share where he's gone, the unique perspective he has with people that otherwise would not get it. I was stunned by the sheer fact, he shared all this stuff, I know all this stuff, and in my simple mind, I was like, what made your mom move to Huntington, bro? You know?" <laughs> I was like, that, that just doesn't happen, that's uncommon. And he said, for whatever it was, she had a vision of what our lives could be, not defined by what it was determined to be or could have ended up being if she just settled for the immediate confines that were expected for her to take. It's a unique thing when people could see beyond what's right in front of them, the limitations, The confines of those possibilities and see something beyond that. See something that other people don't see. To have a vision that isn't limited but actually sees potential and possibilities that the naked eye would often miss. And if you would extend to me uh, just the courtesy of being as simplistic as possible, when I attempt to put human people, humanity... In two camps. Now, I know there's a lot of diversity. There's a broad spectrum in how we see the world. But if you could just give me the leeway to say, I think it's safe to say that most people fit in either one category or the other that I'm about to describe. And the categories that I'm about to describe have to do with how we see the world. And the first category are people who have a buried vision a buried vision. What do I mean by that? It's a vision that's very similar to the day we just passed yesterday, Holy Saturday. Holy Saturday is a powerfully pregnant day in the church's calendar because that day is an in-between space, in between the crucifixion and before the resurrection, and it's a day marked by silence and sorrow. Because it's in between the most gruesome, horrifying thing that the world has ever seen. The most innocent, flourishing, beautiful human life executed before our eyes. It's a stain that stands still against the report card of humanity. And before this glorious day that we call Resurrection Sunday, the disciples, the first followers of Jesus, sat on that day puzzled, stunned. Because that day came crushing down the reality, the confines, the limitations of life as it was. See, on Holy Saturday, death was death. And it was the final word. On Holy Saturday, after Jesus is buried, there is no looking forward to tomorrow. There's disappointment. There's there's disorientation because all the hopes that were placed upon Jesus seem to have been misplaced. A lot of us, a lot of people in this world view life through a buried vision. They view life as it is, limitations and all. They view life through the lens of the brokenness of this world, the pain, the disappointment, and they can't see beyond that. All they see is right in front of them. And it's utterly despairing. I recently heard a news story that absolutely cut me to the bone. But it didn't surprise me either. In California, there's reports that police officers have been taking their phones or using their patrol cars. And when they're doing things that they should not be doing, abusing their power, and someone pulls out their phone to record them, guess what they do? They blare copyrighted music because they know that if someone tries to upload a video that has copyrighted music, Instagram takes it down immediately. They're abusing their power, and they found a temporary hack to not get called out on it. And when I heard this story, and please know, this is kind of heavy, You're like, man, it's Easter Sunday, chill, Chris, just be positive, just bear with me. we got to face difficult truths if we're going to be real people. And the difficult truth to face in that, we're not anti-cop, we're not anti-law enforcement, but we are anti-abuse of power And that instance is so heart-wrenching, especially considering what the world has just gone through from 2020 now, where we had a racial reckoning and we came face-to-face with abuses and egregious uses of power that needed to be rectified. And in 2022, not that far long ago, the brazenness of this was so utterly disgusting and heartbreaking, but not surprising. Because when you see life through the narrow lens of the brokenness of this world, when there is no other thing informing our lives, shaping us, there's nothing else at the center of our life, all we see is brokenness, abuse, regurgitated over and over and over again. In many respects, though we don't want to face it and we want to numb ourselves and distract ourselves, if we're honest and we pause long enough... The world seems at times like we're just reshuffling the chairs on the Titanic. It's sinking, it's drowning, we're managing the decline, and we're just trying to make the voyage as comfortable as possible. It's broken. There's a buried vision we can't see beyond until this morning that we celebrate. Up until the the day that we're celebrating today in history, that was the only way to see the world. The only way to see the world was as it is, broken, oppressive, violent, dog-eat-dog, where some people get ahead, some people get left behind, abuse of power, where all these things are just the only reality we see. But one day, on this day, all of that changed. I bleed in my soul for a world that hopes for a better tomorrow, that wants the world to change, that has that noble desire, but doesn't realize it's beyond their reach apart from the empty tomb of Jesus. Our desires to remake the world, to shape it into a better place, as noble as that sounds, the reality of that ever coming to pass is grim. Because if life is only as it is, all we are doing, if we're honest, we're just photoshopping and editing the brokenness, rebranding, repurposing it, and not admitting to ourselves that our best efforts don't lead to the substantive change that we hope for. How many are familiar with the amazing, just humbling prize that if you were given this It would change your life forever. It's called the Nobel Peace Prize. Have you ever heard of that prize? It's an incredible award given to people that are deemed as people that make a contribution that makes humanity better, that pushes things forward, whether in science or in the arts or in writing. They make a contribution that peers recognize as an amazing contribution for the betterment of the world. We know of this, and it's a prestigious award. But what we often overlook is the founder of this award. The founder of this award, he created the Nobel Peace Prize because he didn't want the world to remember him by his first creation, which was dynamite. This man created dynamite with the intention, the noble intention, that this would be something that would be used to to tunnel through mountains, to create roads, Or to make construction of buildings and all these great, wonderful things that nobody would argue with on the surface. And then he watched as his creation was used in not one world war, but two world wars. And millions upon millions of lives were evaporated because of his creation. So what did he do? He said, I don't want my name to go down with this attached to it. So he tried to rebrand, tried to kind of repurpose, Photoshop his life in the hopes that people would forget the first real picture of the raw reality of our life. That is life as we know it, whether we want to face it or not. It's grim. It's, it's just incredibly oppressive. It's hopeless. And the best we find ourselves able to do is constantly tweaking, rebranding, repurposing, trying to avoid the really difficult truth of what it's like to live with a buried vision, seeing life as it is and not being able to see past that. But all of that changed long ago when a group of uneducated, under-resourced misfits woke up on a Sunday morning and they were the first to hear and realize that something happened that would change history forever. See, after walking with Jesus for three and a half years and witnessing his brutal execution, the Bible says they hid for fear of the religious leaders. They were behind closed doors trying to save their lives in the hope of waiting it out, not being noticed. They just saw their rabbi, their leader, crucified, and they knew that they were coming next Imagine the despair, the hopelessness that they were feeling, but on Sunday morning, a morning just like today, something surprising happens. Members of their community, in particular, the women in their community, were the first to go to the empty tomb and realize that Jesus wasn't there. And they were met with an angelic being saying that, "Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here." Go back and tell your disciples, your friends, that he is risen, just as he said. And wouldn't you know it, they were slow to believe that. If today you find yourself in this room, and you were lovingly dragged to this building, and you say, man, do I really believe in the empty tomb of Jesus? Man, that's so out there. What a claim. You mean all the people in this room this morning are here because they believe that a man named Jesus rose from the dead? That's what they're basing their life on. feels like a stretch. That's a lot to process. If that's you, you're not alone. His very disciples were skittish to believe this. They were apprehensive because if this was true, All the old categories, all the way of looking at life, the buried vision of life had to go away with. They now had to imagine a world that they never imagined. They now had to see a world that is only possible through the impossible. And so, of course, they would be slow to believe. Have you ever heard of how they train elephants for the circus? It's actually an interesting yet cruel practice. They'll take a baby elephant before it grows up to be just the monstrous, majestic animal that it is that's fierce and unstoppable. When it's tiny and small, they'll tie a rope around its leg to a small little tree. Now that tree is strong enough to keep that baby elephant at bay, and so it's trying to constantly get loose and break free And after repeated attempts, eventually the baby elephant realizes, I'm not strong enough to actually break free. But something happens. The elephant grows massively, but its mindset is still shaped by those formative experiences. And every time they would tie that rope and it would be next to the tree, in his mind, her mind would say, I can't break free because I'm tied to the thing that I could never break free from. Its mind was shaped by the world as it was, not as it is. And so similarly for the disciples, no wonder so many of them were slow to believe because if what the resurrection tells us is true, life as it was is no longer the final word. Now in their mind, they can see a world that's informed by something that it was never informed by previously. Now they can see the world through the lens of the empty tomb of Jesus. And when the penny finally dropped for them, when this truth finally sank from their head to their heart, everything changed. You see, for these men and women, the empty tomb of Jesus was a foretaste of what the Apostle John wrote of in Revelation 21. It's a foretaste when John says a new heaven, a new earth coming down. When John says that God says I will make all things new, that all the pain, all the violence, all the hurt from this life will be wiped away. What made that believable What made that more than some utopian fantasy for these men and women was that they stared at an empty tomb that once had the body of Jesus and no longer had it. And so now for them, when they received this heavenly vision of what the world can be, they no longer saw the world as it was. They said, if this was possible to the body of Jesus, then life and hope and renewal could be possible to our broken world. This, is, this reality, this vision that's informed by the empty tomb of Jesus, it's what empowered these men and women to face persecution, death. Many of them were mauled by lions in the Colosseum. Many of them saw their infant babies just stepped over by horses because they refused to deny their faith. Many of these men and women tirelessly served the poor, the marginalized. Though they didn't have much, they gave everything they could to serve and bless and make the world renewed because of the empty tomb of Jesus. Do you know that throughout history, even with all the legitimate stains that the church has incurred, and we should be honest about the fact that historically the church at many times has been an agent of the empire, an agent of oppression, and has been used to do horrendous things. But at the same time, it is undeniable that because of the empty tomb of Jesus and his resurrection life flowing through these men and women, that call themselves as followers, the church has been in the soil of renewal throughout the ages. It's been the people of God that have been at the forefront of some of the greatest social revolutions that we've seen. Ending child labor laws, being at the forefront of the fight against slavery, uh, creating institutions, hospitals, serving the poor, the marginalized. All of that is not explained. The math doesn't add up if these people were just well-wishers and just had a nice little dream of what the world could be given the odds they faced, the persecution they encountered. The only thing that makes sense is that these men and women were infused by a life that did not come from this world. They were made alive. Because of what took place on this day, when Jesus rose and they put their faith in this resurrected king, they were made alive. They were made new. And when they saw a vision of what the world could be, of what God was pulling us toward, they pushed and pushed in this life to see a foretaste of that now before its eventual reality. The resurrection, the empty tomb of Jesus is what explains the very existence of the people of God. On a Sunday like today, the miracle is not lost on me that we in this room sociologically shouldn't be in this room together. There's more reasons why we should not be together, united in song, in heart, in belief, in mission. The world has clearly articulated the reasons why we should be divided. And make no mistake, we're a diverse church, broad perspectives, people vote differently, think differently, we're not a homogenous group by any means, and yet, despite all the possible fractures that could pull us apart in a world that's tearing itself apart, The miracle of the people of God is that we could come together and form a new humanity. And that new humanity is only made possible because of the empty tomb of Jesus. Because he rose, we are empowered to be the people he calls us to be. Because he rose, we have grace in our veins that otherwise would not be present. Have you ever experienced deep betrayal? Someone misusing you, taking you for granted, being vile towards you. Have you ever had to process forgiving someone that's done that level of harm? If you ever have, then you know firsthand You've come face to face with the limitations of human ability to pardon the unpardonable. To forgive the unforgivable. You can't get rid of that on your own. I know people that have spent thousands and thousands of dollars on therapy. I believe in therapy. I see a therapist. And yet have not moved past the offense, the hurt, not because they're not trying, but because they're trying in their own capacity. The resurrection makes supernatural things possible. The resurrection empowers us to love enemies, to pray for people that abuse us and use us, and to not retaliate and hate and reciprocate. In the same spirit in which we're treated. As the former first lady says, when they go low, you go high. The resurrection allows us to do so, unlike anything else. The resurrection informs the basis of a new humanity in a world that's fractured and divided. We find the capacity to love, to forgive, to extend grace, to find commonality with one another that goes beyond our ethnic origin, our our family history. It provides a power to form a community that no other power on earth has ever or will ever be able to do. The empty tomb of Jesus gives us this resurrected vision For life. It's the empty tomb of Jesus that tells a drug addict that they're not defined by their addiction and that there can be hope and there can be a new tomorrow and there can be freedom. It's the empty tomb of Jesus that tells a struggling marriage that we don't give up and that there can be renewal and there can be hope. It's the empty tomb of Jesus that tells a parent's heart that's looking at their children and and, and just in pain and agony over brokenness in their life and they can't help it. It's the empty tomb of Jesus that says the, the last word is not what you see. The brokenness that you see is not the final word. Death doesn't have the last say. The empty tomb of Jesus informs our faith in the most dire moments of our life. I can tell you from my own personal journey, it's only been the empty tomb of Jesus that has pulled me through the darkest nights of my life. When as a father and as a husband, I didn't know how I would provide despite my best efforts. It was the empty tomb of Jesus that reminded me the limitations of earth's resources are not what I am living within, that I have a resurrected King that is our provider and he will take care of us. It's the empty tomb of Jesus when we got bad doctor's reports and felt impossible situations being given to us that gave us hope, that helped us to endure those dark nights. It's the empty tomb of Jesus that when I was betrayed and talked about and and mistreated, that I found the capacity not in myself, but in him, to forgive, to extend mercy. It's the empty tomb of Jesus that has made the life that we call following Jesus possible. And so if today, if you've come in here burdened, heavy, feeling the weight of life as it is, if you're facing situations that feel utterly impossible, Brokenness that you have no answer for, no hope for. You can walk out of here continuing with your buried vision, seeing the world as it is, or you can walk out of here with a resurrected vision and seeing the world as it could be, not because of your ingenuity and your creativity, but because of the empty tomb of Jesus. Today, And every day, Jesus extends a powerful invitation to each and every one of us. Matthew's Gospel, the 11th chapter, verse 28 to 30, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. That's his invitation. Come to me. But you say, God, my life's a mess. I'm not religious. I, I, I can't keep up with all these rules. Jesus says, come to me. I didn't come to start a new religion. I came to invite you to have a relationship with me. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Come to me. And it's in responding to that invitation that we could step into new life. An invitation is a tricky thing because what you do with that invitation sends a powerful statement. How many have ever been invited to a wedding And you responded immediately and gave your notice. I saw one, two, a couple courteous hands. God bless you. You stand as examples among us. The rest of us got some work to do, right? You get the invitation and you wait and you wait. And they say, hey, are you going to come? Oh, I'm going to get back to you. Yeah, I'm just waiting on that thing from that person. I'm going to get back to you. And then you wait and you wait. If you've ever been on the sending end of that invitation, what is that waiting like? It's not fun. Because with each passing day, it was just like, do they not respect me? Do they not care for me? What, 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 this, I thought we were friends. Man, this is my cousin, you know? Like, it, it, it cuts deep. <laughs> The act of someone getting an invitation and what they do with it communicates profoundly to us. Can I tell you, it's a sobering thought that in this brief life that we have, that from the empty tomb, Jesus says, come to me. He invites us. It's a sobering thought to think of what many of us do with that invitation. That many of us put it, to a, put it to the side. I'll get to it one day. Many of us get busy and respond to other invitations. And that one we just keep putting aside. Or we put it in that really murky gray area. Maybe. We'll get to it. Could you imagine when we stand before God and he says, I rose from the dead. I made it possible for you to have a new life. I invited you. All you had to do was come. And what will we say on that day? Say, oh, I was busy living this buried life, this life that was just confined by what was rather than what could be. I was figuring out on, on my own. I know you told me to come, burdens and all, but I just wanted to carry it, shoulder it myself. The disrespect toward an invitation like this, to deny it, to not embrace it, is quite sobering to think about. But today, what would it look like if rather than ignoring it, suppressing it, getting distracted, what if we said yes to that invitation, an invitation to follow the resurrected king and to learn to live life from that point of reality, that from that moment forward, you don't face situations from a buried perspective. You don't face the trials of life with the limited resources that all are, are trying to grapple with. You're not busy photoshopping the brokenness of this world and denying it. No, you live life from a place of the possibilities that are only found in the empty tomb of Jesus. You, you live life from a place of love that's only possible through the resurrected King making you and I alive. On this day, it's such a tricky day because so many folks return to church on this day because of custom and, and all these things. And man, as a pastor, we're so happy to see you. We missed you throughout the year. But can I tell you, even better than just coming today, what would it look like for every single day, whether you're in this building or not, for your life to be rooted and founded on the empty tomb of Jesus? That's way better than church attendance. I know folks that come every Sunday and still don't live out of the reality of the empty tomb of Jesus. I've been there myself. But what Jesus invites us to is not to a religious life. He invites us to a life that passes from death to life. He pulls us out of the tomb of sin and brokenness and says, Now you could live a life that's only possible through my redemptive love coursing through your veins. Amen. That's the invitation that He's extending to us. What would it look like for us to say yes to that? As the worship team comes forward, I want to outline some next steps for us. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're curious about the faith, you're wondering what this might look like, I've got good news. We've been thinking about you. We've been praying for you, and we're so glad you're here. Today, some of us may be at the place where what brought you in was desperation. You've tried to manage this life on your own, and you've recognized it's futile. It's pointless. You don't have the ability to manage this on your own. And today, you're at that breaking point. And perhaps you're at the moment of surrender. Say, Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you. If that's where you're at, we've created a way to pray with you, to journey with you for what it might mean like for us to follow Jesus together. I'm going to give you the details about that in a moment but maybe you're here today and similar to how I was when I first was invited to follow Jesus. You're curious, but you got a lot of questions. You got some doubts you're wrestling with. You got some stuff. I, it would be so, uh, such a bad thing for me to invite you to take this giant leap without you actually getting the time to process some stuff, to actually ask some questions, to, to, to read the fine print, to follow Jesus is the most glorious thing, but let me make it clear, it will cost you your life. And so because it will cost you your life, you should count the cost, and you should weigh things out and ask questions. If that's the space you're in, next Sunday we're going to announce a baptism class. And that's a class specifically designed for anyone who wants to cross the line of faith and say, I want to follow Jesus. And that's a perfect place to come with your questions with the things that you're processing, if today you're not at the point of crossing that line of faith, but you still wanna process things, that baptism class would be a first great next step for you. In addition, if you just wanna process doubts, questions you have, you wanna follow Jesus, but there's stuff you need to work through, I would love to hear from you. My email is christian at hopechurchnyc.org. It's on the website. It should be displayed. You can have access to it. I would love to hear from you. We would love to hear from you and talk about what it means to follow Jesus. Can I tell you, I was 14 years old, September 26, 1994, when I made the decision to follow Jesus. I'm 42 years old now, married going on 15 years, four kids. I have not regretted this decision one day of my life because unlike any other decision I made this decision put me in a living relationship with the living God a friend unlike any other friend a hope that's not fanciful or utopian a hope that's rooted in an empty tomb You and I are not being unrealistic when we believe the living God. We're being the most realistic people on earth when we make decisions based not on the buried elements of this life, but on the resurrection of Jesus. We would love for you to follow Jesus together with us. But if you are a follower of Jesus today, you're not left without a response to this invitation. Because perhaps... As I found myself many times in my life, though I profess belief in the resurrection, my lived out experience lacked the evidence of it. I didn't live as if the tomb was empty. I didn't forgive as if the tomb was empty. I didn't walk in freedom as if the tomb is empty. And so if you're a follower of Jesus today, you recognize what I profess to believe and what I live out, there's dissonance. Jesus says, come, come to me. I wanna give you life could I invite us to stand? We stand. If you feel comfortable doing so, could I invite you to raise your hands in the presence of God? And as we worship in these next few moments, the prayer team is in the back to my left, to your right, and they would love to pray for you regarding anything that you need prayer for, whether you want to follow Jesus for the first time or you want to come back home To the Father's love, wherever you're at, they'd love to pray with you. So at any given moment, as we sing, as we pray, you can slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer. With our hands raised, Jesus, as we come to you now, the prophetic vision of the Apostle John, where he heard you from the throne saying, I make all things new. Father, I pray for every single person in this room right now. Those words, Lord, you alone can make all things new. So I pray for newness in their bodies, in their minds, in their emotions. Newness in their marriages, in their relationships, in their employment, in their careers. Resurrection life in every broken place. Resurrection life in their vision for this world where we see brokenness and violence and oppression. May they see hope and renewal as possible because of the empty tomb of your son. So we come to you now. We pray you'd meet us as we turn our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, let's sing. Let's turn our hearts to God together. In your praise ever on